Hello, and welcome back to The Snub Club, a podcast that doesn't have an opening theme, but that's okay for now. You don't know that. I could add it in at any point. I will cry when we finally have it. Here's a joy, to be clear. I haven't made it, though. To be clear. Um, this is, we're back with our second part of my, our first two-part episode, which is about the 7th Academy Awards. Last week we discussed, um, last week, two weeks ago we discussed The Thin Man. This week we're discussing something else. Now, if you remember, The Thin Man got four nominations but no wins. But before we get into that, I forgot to do something in my countdown last week. Oh, by the way, who are you guys? Uh, I'm Danny Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Caleb Bunn. And I'm Sarah Knopf. And we're so excited to be here. Just... We're we're clearly not essential to Danny. He could just do the show and we could sneak out. Well, uh, okay. Um, <laughs> okay, um, so, but one thing I forgot to do last week was I said the gay divorcee was, uh, had five nominations and one win. And I always say what it won, but I forgot to say what it won last week. So I'm going to say it now. The gay divorcee won best original song for the continental what movie are we talking thank about thank you finally some engagement we are talking about uh drum roll please edit in the drum roll here uh actually pause for a second i want to make sure i say something right sorry joe we're being really bad today <laughs> sorry <laughs> um hold on i'm looking for something super quick the movie did not inspire <laughs> Confidence. I have to open my doc that's titled Snub Club Thingy because I need to see when this director appears again, how many times this director will come back. Because I know he comes back at least once. Oh, I didn't oh, even God. look at the director. I just looked at the people who were nominated. Comes back three more times, buddy. He has two, three more times to redeem himself. What's up, Joe? I mean, alright. So, this week, the movie we're talking about is The Affairs of Cellini, which is directed by Gregory Lacava. Now, Gregory LaCava will appear again on this. But, before we talk about the affairs of Cellini, since we don't have our countdown, I want to point out something really interesting that I noticed while looking at this uh, Academy Awards page. Because let's be a little bit of a spoiler, I think, on all of our thoughts. I think us discussing the Academy Award page would be more interesting than us discussing the movie. (laughs) Is, um, I noticed when I was looking through this, is that the winner for best live-action short subject comedy was La Cucaracha, but best City of Wax won best live-action short subject novelty. I want to know what novelty is. What does that even mean? So It's like a gimmick, I guess. Like, City of Wax makes me wonder if, like, it was, like, something involving wax. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, Didn't they used to have, like, like informational films in best short but wouldn't that be documentary no it was something different it was like like during the war they would have like not like it was like basically best propaganda but they didn't call it that obviously so i just went to the oscars wiki and i looked up uh, best short subject comedy best so there's of course the you know it's the oscars wiki so all these stuff should have pages so i clicked best short film novelty to see what the page says the page says, I'll read it out loud right here. There's currently no text in this page. You can search the stage title for number pages or search logs, but you do not have permission to create this page. So oh. I wonder if this is a mystery because 
honestly, looking from Google, it does not seem like it is very clear at all on what the best short. We need to get the Charleses on this case. Yeah, please. I want the Finman to know what happened to the. All right, we're gonna check one more site. Oh, okay. <laughs> this sounds so funny. I clicked the second I'm, result. I think we went to. Yeah, I think we went to the exact it's same one. Internal server error. <laughs> it's an internal server error. Oh my god. Oh, Someone okay. I did find the answer on something. TV tropes. Um, this award. This is for best live action short. The award was first given out at the Fifth Academy Awards for films released 1931 to 1932. So for this award, this Academy did something. The Academy did something it never done for its Best Picture award. It never will, uh, which is make distinctions by genre. For the first five years. Separate awards were given out for comedy and novelty, and novelty was most, as you said, mostly short documentaries. Interesting. So, anyway, to the movie. <laughs> yes. Well, first, should we say what it was nominated for? Uh, I guess. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this this film, interesting. I think I haven't been keeping track. I think this might be the first film we're we're covering that was not nominated for picture. Does that sound about right to you guys? I think so. I mean. I think so. I it doesn't sound right that this got four nominations. So it was nominated for. Oops, I almost just spilled my. Soda. It's my job. Oh, That's I'm my sorry. thing. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Okay, so it was nominated for uh, best actor in a leading role for Frank Morgan, but he of course lost to Clark Gable. Best art direction for Richard Day, uh, which lost to The Merry Widow. Uh, Best cinematography for Charles Charles Rocher, who which lost to Cleopatra, and best sound recording for Thomas T. Moulton, which lost to One Night of Love. Now Frank Morgan uh, would later be nominated for best supporting actor once. Uh, Richard Day won seven Academy Awards and was nominated for thirteen others. Um, Charles Rocher won the first ever. Cinematography award ever, um, so he had oh, already cool. won. Did he do wings? Uh, no, he did uh, sunrise, a song of oh, two humans. Makes sense too. That, that one. That oh, one. Then he yeah. also he also won for the yearling and was nominated for three other awards. And then Thomas T. Moulton won five Academy Awards for sound recording, was nominated for eleven, and then he also won. He was also nominated for four more for visual effects. So, quite a talented bunch, I would say. Which doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> Can I just say, again, before we go into this... Oh, this is so... so. Int- I feel like this always happens. Every week, I find a movie that won the Oscar, and I think, oh, this sounds interesting. Oh, she just hadn't won. The Merry Widow, which to me, I just clicked because the title was funny to me. It's made by our good friends, Ernest Lubitsch and Marie Chevalier. Um, and yeah. the interesting thing to me here... About the Merry Widow, this is a fun fact, which I'm going to tell you right now, it's more fun than anything in the Ferris of Cellini, is that they actually made two versions of the film. They shot it twice. One in English and one in French. I believe with the same cast? Yeah, with the, well, the same lead actors. The rest of I think he people. wanted to do that for Love Parade, didn't he? That sounds about right. I thought. Oh, this, why didn't this lose the Oscar? Well, I don't think it would have qualified for this podcast anyway. Yeah, because that was its only... Wow. I don't want to check it out. It was its only nomination, so probably pretty good art direction. Anyway. Um, now I guess we should probably talk about the film. 
Unless you have historical context. No, because everyone's favorite segment in all of podcasting, the ever-exciting historical context is back. I found one thing interesting in this entire movie, and it came on during the credits. Um, this was made as part of the National Recovery Administration, um, which was a uh, branch of the government um, created by FDR, uh, which was basically a job works program that um, was mainly, you know, you think of it in terms of like building infrastructure and creating national parks, but it also had a branch of it that was uh, based around entertainment. And so as we started this podcast, we started to kind of see the Great Depression start to kind of influence the films. Now we can see the response to it, create this film. Usually, this is something that I would be like, cool, I really like the um, the NRA, not the new NRA, the old NRA. Um, but uh, this was such a bad movie that I kind of think FDR made a mistake, and uh, maybe we shouldn't have a job works program in the arts. Oh. Uh, what I will say first, before we, before we really get into this, is that I, 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 we said this earlier, but it's getting cut. So, but I'm going to mention it now on record. Is that, the, in my opinion, the lead of this movie is Frederick March, actually, not Frank Morgan. Uh, but Frederick March is apparently really good <laughs> as an actor. I just clicked his wiki page because I had known he'd won a few years back in the year we had that tie, where uh, for best actor. Uh, and he had won for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He won again a Best Actor award for The Masters of Our Lives in 1946, and he has two Tony Awards for Best Actor for years ago, and I believe, the, yes, the original production of Long Day's Journey Into Night. So, really good actor. I would not have guessed that from this. <laughs> well, he's okay. He's much okay. like much like uh, Faye Ray in this, wouldn't have really guessed that she was as good of an actor based on this Faye movie. Ray is a name that I recognize, but I... Oh, she's, she's in, King, in Kong. King Kong. King Kong, yeah. yes. And she was also in um, Vila Vila, which, if you remember, almost qualified for this two-part episode, but it did win an award, so. Um, I also think the other thing I thought was interesting about Wikipedia page is that the only info in the... Uh, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia page was so small, there's not even a poster for the movie. Um, it just lists the Oscar nominations and then the film was a box office disappointment and then the citation goes to a book right it doesn't go to so I can't read how it's what they deserve can we just well let's say what this movie is and personally I think I'd be okay with just reading the wiki description because it's really short it's a paragraph should I just do that I don't think either me or Sarah know what went on. I don't know what happened Actually, do you want me, do you want me to... Um, well, this is what I was going to say. My, my general take on it is... Um, I feel like every once in a while, you watch a movie, right? And you're really trying to pay attention to it. You're hearing it. You're watching it. And then once it ends, you realize none of that was retained at all. And I'm pretty sure for mm -hmm. most of it, I was just kind of... Um, disassociating from reality because absolutely nothing of this was engaging at all. <laughs> like the last 20-ish minutes of Morocco was the entire movie for me. <laughs> um, there was one that I liked 
But maybe we'll get to it, and if we don't, I'll bring it up as what I would nom- nominate it for. Cause Every movie I watch for this podcast, I write at least a page of notes. Usually a page and a half. I didn't even write half a page. <laughs> I just gave up. I write. I wrote more notes for Jonah of VeggieTales movie <laughs> than I d- did for this. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, I- I'm going to read the wiki description, so maybe we can get the plot, okay? Maybe we'll figure it out. Both the Duke and the Duchess have an eye for beauty and other partners. The Duke presently fancies a young woman who poses as an artist model. The Duchess has her eye on the famous artist, Benevuto Shalidi, a name I totally just butchered, who is in the palace making a set of golden plates to be used at ducal banquets. <laughs> Cellini purportedly hypnotizes young women and cuckolds the Duke of Florence. The somewhat oblivious Duke is loath to punish the young, the young man because Cellini fashions gold and wares for him, but he throws him in the torture chamber. However, a goblet of poisoned wine solves the problem. I think that, that served Does to confuse it? me a bit more. <laughs> Does it solve you it? Forgetting, <laughs> it is forgetting the important part that Cellini just, like, he is known for murdering people. Yeah, yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> Apparently Cellini was a, or, sorry, Cellini was a real person. That's how, like, not, not versed I am. This is based off a play. We like plays. Yes. This movie was written written by by a woman. I was going to say, we like movies written by (laughs) women. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately. um, Wow. Okay. Actually, I just clicked her page. She founded the cat, one of the 36 founders of the Academy. Wow. Uh, There you go. um, So I don't like her. That's how they got nominated. It's so weird. You know, now our relationship to the Academy is like, you know, it causes (laughs) the same joke. What? We, we just said the same joke. It's fine. Uh, I didn't even hear it. I'll hear it back and I'm listening to it. I'm sorry, guys. Um, the Academy is so interesting because, you know, like, this podcast only really exists because the Academy existed. But also, if the Academy never existed, would we really be that worse off? <laughs> um... Well, you know what? I think the early Academy years are fine, except for the fact that this got four nominations. This is the only problem with the Academy, is that okay. this movie... Yeah. I mean the early Just Academy. This movie. No, no, I'm talking about the early Academy, very exclusively. I'm talking about, like, early, the first ten years of the Academy. I watched this movie last night. You two at least watched it today. It should be somewhat more fresh in your minds than mine. Should be. I mean, I can't... <laughs> I really can't go through and do this Oh, we can't. No, like absolutely not. Can. Absolutely. I can give my overall take and then... <laughs> I don't know. This is a bad movie. Um, <laughs> it commits the cardinal sin of all movies. It was boring. It's 80 minutes long, but feels so much longer. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. It's just, I think it's the shortest thing we've watched, besides maybe Alibi. Yeah, everything falls flat in this. The the There is no dramatic or comedic tension. Everything just mutters along. There, I could honestly, the whole time I was waiting for the setup to end, because I was like, okay, okay okay, when is this movie actually going to give me something to grasp onto? I almost fell asleep, and then my boss called me, and I woke back up, and I'm kind of mad at him because I would have just much rather fallen asleep. I feel like 
my my take on the film is that maybe maybe it would have been watchable if it was the exact same story, the exact same runtime, but it was a musical. That's kind of where I felt. Is like at least if it was a musical. Mm, as long as the runtime is the same, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, like, at most, like, take it to 90, right? At most, take it to 90. Don't go past 90 minutes. But, like, even, like, even, like, the Love Parade, right? I think the Love Parade, if it was not a musical, would have been pretty about as bad as this was. Um, but the music took it up a notch that it was somewhat watchable. Uh, this is just some movie. <laughs> I just, for me... Like, I feel like I've seen this movie before multiple times. Like, it's the very classic, like, Midsummer Night's Dream. Or, like, well, I guess Shakespearean more so. Like, everybody is in love with everybody else. And there's hijinks and stuff. But it's like, I don't really care about anybody in this movie to, like, care about their hijinks. Everyone's everyone's terrible in this movie. Except for Faye Ray's character, who's just naive. The Duchess, the Dutch, and serial killer Cellini are all terrible people. But but they're air quotes funny. Air quotes. <laughs> okay, I do think I do think this movie was funny in the sense of like when you're watching like Family Guy and like it's like No, but I mean it was meant to be, but like you know what it's like you watch it and it's like it's so bad and then like occasionally there'll be something that's like genuinely funny. I feel like that was like the experience. It, it definitely feels to me like something that I would see like in Home Alone when Kevin's flipping channels and he's like, I don't want to watch only angels have wigs. Oh, the affairs of Selene? Great, and then they just shot that um, in 1999. It was Angels with Filthy Faces. Thank you very much. Well, my kid quoted it to me. So, kid from me at work brought it up to me this week. They called Only Angels Have Wings. So, <laughs> Only Angels Have Wings is a real oh, movie. Well, sorry. <laughs> Can we just talk about Home Alone instead? <laughs> was, was that nominated for any Oscars? <laughs> no. Should have been. Wasn't it nominated I for did, score? Danny and I did watch it one year. No, I, I commend y'all for talking about Home Alone because there we have to get some <laughs> content out of this terrible movie. This is, I guess, the closest thing we can compare this to is Love Parade in the sense that, like, there's some tension between this man and this royal woman, and it's a comedy but remember, the, the difference being Love Parade was funny. Also, the Love Parade opens really great, and it hooks you immediately. You get that great shot of Paris that's really over the top for the era, and then you get someone sh- getting shot. He's got a dog. Yeah. You know what I what I did remember about this movie? The one thing that stuck out to me is that this is another movie where the woman gets punched in the face, and there's a really loud sound effect. It's true. Yeah. I okay. Can we talk? I guess let's let's lead this conversation into something and talk about. So it's supposed to be like a romantic comedy. I'm not really sure who was supposed to be with who here. So it was. We've got the Duke, who I'm going to call the Wizard, from the for the rest of the podcast. Um, the Duchess. Angela, who is the ingenue, and then Cellini, who's not really the main character, I don't think. I think, if the, well, to Claire, I don't actually think this movie has a main character, but if it did have a male lead, I think it's 
him and not the um, Duke. I, I think it's Shalini more than the Duke, personally. But anyway, go on. Sorry. So the the wizard is into Angela, and Shalini's into Angela until Shalini's not into Angela because he's into the Duchess, and the Duchess is into Shalini. But then she tries to kill him because she thinks that he's with Angela, which he is. But the wizard doesn't want her to know that he's into Angela. And Angela's just kind of there. It doesn't really seem like she wants to be with anybody. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Hijinks. I mean, I really don't even know what to say. Like, I'm just trying to explain the movie. Yeah, I'm I'm a little I'm a little lost personally. I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, that happened. <laughs> wow, that happened. I think I think you could I think you could save this by like really focusing on Cellini's want for self-preservation because as a known murderer, they are constantly getting very close to executing him. And so He'll do anything. Like, he kind of sells out Angela to the Duke so that he can distract the Duke from sentencing him to execution. And then, like, the whole Duchess thing, he runs away again because of he's afraid he'll get caught by the guards, I think. But I think instead of focusing on self-preservation, it just makes it seem like he's flipping a coin every decision he makes. He seems to have no real motivation or driving force i think they set it up where it was like like the wife needed plates and Cellini needed to make the plates and he they were gonna let him live until he made the plates so i thought the movie was gonna be just about him not making the plates like just delaying that so that he can live but that didn't really happen like eventually there was some sort of unspecified time jump um I think I'm not sure. <laughs> and I, I'll I'm being very blunt. You guys are talking right now, and I'm back to disassociating like I was when I was watching the movie. <laughs> I'm just like, what? What? What happened? We have to talk about something. Well, <laughs> I've got I've got I've got a potential thing we I, could talk I have a about. Few things we could There's a fight scene. Oh, actually, I do oh. want to talk about the fight scene. I like the fight scene. I thought it was engaging. It was the two minute, one minute of the honestly, thirty seconds of the movie. I was like, what's going on? I'm watching. It's the most like generic swashbuckling action where he's jumping up on a table and fighting like 10 guys with his sword. And then he does like the jump up on a pole and use it to swing kick someone. But it was, it was definitely a change of pace. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's, what, that's pretty much what I liked. I was like, Oh cool. This is happening. Maybe this is a regular thing in this movie and it never happened again. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, okay. It's a little bit of a bummer. Um, yeah, I looked up some facts. Can I? Can, can we discuss two facts I have? That are sure. So Gregory Lacava, right? He's the director. He started as an animator for our for if you guys have seen the um, hit film about a man called Mank, <laughs> uh, William Randolph Hearst. He worked for uh, to make. A short films that were based off of comic strips that were pointed in the newspaper. However, everyone said that the cartoons were too clearly just comic strips that literally had the same speech bubbles in them. Uh, 
And the, the way Wikipedia editorializes it is, LaCava was aware of this fault, and he had his animator study Charlie Chaplin films to improve the timing and characterization. However, he didn't have any time to achieve much, because in 1918, Hearst Bankers caught up with Hearst, and then his films were shut down. And then he became a live-action director after that. Could you tell this was directed by an animator? I, I, no. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't either. It sounds like he wasn't really an animator at all. Well, yeah, he started... Sounds like he just copied comics. It sounds like he was equally talented in both <laughs> mediums he worked well, in. Well, to be clear, that that closed in 1918, and this film is in 1934, and he'd been working in live action since 1922. I just think it's interesting that... I think nowadays a lot of people try to start in animation and move to live action. And I think for the most part, I think most... I think you would agree with... You both would agree with me. Usually... In my opinion, when this happens, I usually just go, go back to animation, please. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to at Brad Bird again, Sarah, feel free to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'll respond. <laughs> uh, my other interesting fact. I like Tomorrowland, so. Oh, I didn't. Uh, but anyway, the other interesting fact to me that I actually do think is more worthy discussion is, did you guys notice the logo at the beginning of this film? It's 20th Century Pictures, which only lasted less than two years as a company. It was founded in June 26, 1933, and merged with Fox merged with Fox in May 31st, 1935. Well, I hope they have a long uh, career in film. And are, they don't, I hope they don't have another you know, merge. Always. <laughs> yeah, did we technically <laughs> watch a Disney film? Yeah, this is a Disney movie. Come on, give this... And why is it not on Disney Plus? Well, if you notice the YouTube one we watched, it was on the Fox Movie Channel. So it should be on Disney Plus, hopefully, someday. Hopefully. Can we get a Fox Movie Channel section on Disney Plus, please? Listen, I believe in I believe in preserving art, but if this is one that the uh the mouse wants to just <laughs> keep on the back burner. I just think it's interesting the studio only lasted two years. Um, well, it lasted. It was a merge. So. I mean, jokes aside, I think this movie probably was part of their downfall. Because it was a box office bomb. But it got nominated for four <laughs> Oscars. Yeah, I think, How many Oscars did oh, uh, actually, Life of Pi get nominated for? To me, this is actually pretty interesting. Uh, the founder of the company, which is a name I kind of recognize... Uh, Daryl Zanuck is a name I see a lot in these older films. Uh, producer. Uh, he began to you know sh- negotiate with the United Artists Board to try to acquire stock and become a board member. But then the co-founder of United Stock, who is Mary Pickford, a woman stopping Zanuck. Good for her. It's actually surprised United Artists was co-founded. We've talked about her. Mary Pickford yeah, on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, I remember it. Uh, Refused to award the comp- 20th century with the company's stock because she thought it would have diluted the values of the holdings by Griffith, D.W. Griffith, uh, who I don't believe will ever cover on this podcast, thankfully. Um, so in res- His career was is well over by where we are at. But his legacy lives on. Is there anything? Is there anything here? Can we scrape anything else out of this movie before we do nominations? 
no, okay. I guess I guess if I can say anything finally <laughs> on this, to just try to wrap it up and put it on a bow <laughs> so I can start to forget we, about like, this movie. I, I, this was a semi-off-topic episode, but I feel like it was okay considering, like... I, re- I read the YouTube comments. <laughs> I read some letterbox Oh, reviews. I didn't do that. I should do that. People I did see a letterbox. People a lot seem of people to be okay this, about this. Like. To me, it's... A, a lot of people... A lot of people in the YouTube comments liked Faye Ray a lot, so, you know. I don't think that it's, like, offensively but, bad. You know what I mean? It's, it's... In the sense that it doesn't say anything offensive. Well, yeah, that's, I guess that's what in I mean. The sense that offended I, I me. Thought, okay, we can talk about one thing about this movie we haven't talked about if you want Well, to. hang on, hang on. Finish your thought, Caleb. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, no, but what I wanted to say is people enjoyed this. Both now and in the past. Um, so if it feels like I especially am going too hard on it, it's because it's done something that many movies on my other podcast have done. And it's made me question every single decision I have ever made that led to me having to watch this movie. So it's not that bad. It just sent me into an existential spiral. So that's why I'm so mad at this movie. Okay. That's fair. I kind of had something similar recently <laughs> when I watched Rafa Man, which I liked, but it made me realize that everyone dies someday. Just kind of the same thing as what you're saying, just about movies rather than people. Um, I don't know. I just that just reminded me of the movie Spiral, which I saw. Yeah, back to the movies. Everybody died in that too. <laughs> what? Wow! I don't get to mark this podcast for Spiral spoilers. <laughs> I haven't seen it. It's not playing here anymore. Anyway. I didn't remember one thing I wanted to talk about this movie, weirdly, when you said there was nothing problematic about it. And I was just kind of like, hold on a second. There's the woman's mom. They do drop a slur. What? Oh, yeah. The mom was very weird. Yeah. I was very... At first... Okay, can I tell you what I thought happened? What? <laughs> so they... This is so much I was paying attention to this movie. So they were talking about his apprentice, who was, like, butt ugly. And, like... He goes in and he talks to his, to his apprentice and he says something, again, couldn't tell you what. And I thought the apprentice was pretending to be her mom. And then I was like, why does she not know what her mom looks like? Why does she not see that it's a man? Uh, but it turns out that it was just her actual mom who was <laughs> played by a man. Okay. Okay, this confused me. I looked this up, but I can't remember what the woman's name is the is her mother's name Beatrice? Caleb, do you think we're gonna know that? <laughs> no, but I remember I remember the, seeing this in the movie. I'm pretty sure she's actually played by a woman, and they just gave her stubble. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that's I'm a little bit sure better. It's I'm pretty sure it's Jesse Ralph who plays it. Who is who is a? Woman. I think that's a little bit better to be honest with you. Versus a man in drag. If I'm right. I could be wrong. I don't know. I'd have to rewatch the movie to be sure. Why don't you do that then? This guy adapted into a musical too someday. It had a very like masculine I don't I don't mean it like <laughs> They had a very masculine voice. Yeah, that's why it was very uh They did, yeah. Who was this mother? Who was the mother character? Is this our Pride Month episode? <laughs> I hope not. Oh, Lucille Ball's in this episode or in this movie. Yeah, she's like a small. What? Role, right? She's just she's an extra. I kept trying to find her, oh. but she wasn't ever prominent enough. 
It is, in fact, Jesse Ralph. You are correct. Okay. See, to me, I don't think that's as bad as, like, a man playing her. It's still a, a mean joke. Why is there such a vivid headshot on this? On Because um, I'm not even joking. This is a very vivid uh, headshot on IMDb of her in character. Uh, I'm going to just send it to Was she, like, a character actress? Was she, like, a like a, a big draw? Uh, I don't know. Uh, let me check Wiki, because she has a Wiki article, so I can do that at least. I did just send the headshot, though. It's a very detailed headshot. Yeah, you're right, Sarah. Like, looking at this, it's a little bit better, because it is, it is a woman. However, it is a woman playing a masculine woman. So it's, yeah. it's just a weird level of gender performance. I will admit that there was one line that made me laugh when the wizard sees her and goes what is that it made me laugh i'm sorry frank morgan at the beginning was charming i think his shtick kind of got old yes i agree he played basically the wizard i mean he played like a very bumbling like just absent-minded type of character. Shall we just wrap this up, or do we have more to say? Yeah. <laughs> all right, all this right. It's like, the most painful... Like, wait, wait! We do have one thing to discuss, because we said we'd discuss it last week. We can discuss oh. the actor category, because we've all seen all the movies nominated for Best Actor. Yeah, but I forgot to say the thing about the score. <laughs> oh, say the thing about the score. Okay, this is a very niche thing, but the score is literally just the Romeo and Juliet theme the like the it's just that oh so the blue type of very nice that was my only point that was the one thing that stuck in my mind which tells you just how fascinating this movie was we for once have seen all the films nominated well Caleb well, you and I yeah uh, but <laughs> Caleb um, you can still partake and discussing the other <laughs> I'll two. go out on a limb and say anything Anything, any other performance is better than Clark Gable. Frank's not one for it happened one night. Frank Morgan was nominated for First Lee, and Will Paolo was nominated for Thin Man. I have now seen all the films. So, Sarah, would you agree with the Academy with this win, knowing the competition? Yes, yes I would too. Yes, I would. <laughs> uh, I would say, and I like Will Paolo in the Thin Man, but I think both of these performances are purely comedic. There is no real hidden depth to them. At least Powell, though, is using his charisma. They're both using their charisma well. Because I actually think Morgan is pretty good in this. I know that we're not really talking about It Happened One Night, but I think he, that Clark Gable has more of a a tenderness to yeah, him. exactly. I feel like he lets his guard up more in that film. Um, yeah, okay. I think we're on the same page, then. I think Gable is very obviously a winner. Because if I remember, yeah, and a lot of these older rom-coms, I haven't seen it happen one night in like three or four years. But if I remember right, I don't think he has a big like emotional scene. Because that rarely happens in these types of old rom-coms anyway. But he he concedes to Claudette Colbert more than Powell ever does really with Myrna Lloyd. But that's partially due to the script of the man, not really due to Powell. Yeah, one of them is more of a straight-up comedy. One of them's a romantic comedy, yeah. Caleb, 
Thin Man, who would you give it to between the two you saw? I, I was going to try to do a contrary thing. It's like, no, Frank Morgan's better than both Gable and Powell. No, it's obviously Powell. <laughs> and just assuming what I know based on other Frank Capra movies and other Gable movies, I would. I think the Academy probably made the correct choice here. Um, but Powell blows Morgan so far out of the water. The Thin Man, which I was just kind of aeon, blows this movie so far out of the water. I have reevaluated every movie we watch for this podcast while watching Affairs of Cellini, and I was too harsh on all of them. Now, as a reminder, it was nominated for Frank Morgan for Best Actor, Best Sound Recording, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. So, we'll start with Sarah today. Sarah, what would you have it win? Best Sound Recording. <laughs> Why? You have to give a reason why. I... Because the other ones are I too mean, prestigious. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. Like, it's just not good enough for the other ones. I don't think this... I mean, I thought the sound was actually pretty good, though. To be honest with you. Um, I didn't have any issues with that. Uh, I just, you know... It was a clean film for the time. Certainly better than some other ones that we've watched. And, like, I don't mean to, like, compare it to, like, what this what the guy... Um, had also been nominated for, but, like, he he was nominated for a lot of awards, so, like, he knew what he was doing. So, I'd give him props for that. He was an expert in his field. I would actually go with art direction. I thought the sets were nice. They were cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, they're, they're nice you sets. You have to give a reason. They're ni- Well, that is my reason. They are nice sets. Um, I think the basement is good. I think... The um the ball that the finale takes place in. There's a lot of cool pillars in that castle. It's solid art direction. I I'll have to give it like that's really it. Is like yeah, these sets are cool. I'll give it to it. And again, none of the other ones really stood out to me. I actually thought at points the sound recording was kind of iffy. Um, but that might have also just been a degraded. Uh, I don't know. I also might have just been tired. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> so yeah, I, I want art direction. Yeah, I'll go with Art Direction 2 solely because of uh, Cellini's workshop. It's a circle, and like the action scene allows them to establish the geography there. It's it's fine. Like, it's nothing special, but out of all of these... And, like, I don't think any of these are bad. Um, the cinematography is decent. The sound recording is decent. Frank Morgan is decent. But, man... I have to ask you a question before we move on to the next session because you did say that watching this movie made you reevaluate everything you've said about all the films we've talked about. Now, I know what he's going to say. I remember you and Sarah <laughs> really going to bat for the cinematography of Aerosmith. I want to know if this film made you reassess our like of the Aerosmith cinematography. Okay. Because <laughs> I presume you watch this. At least for me, when I watch these movies, and I know the nominations, right? At least I know the nominations. So I watch for what I know. I also think that besides you know Aerosmith having good cinematography, Lady for a Day has less flashy, but also good cinematography that's functional. And that's why I said on that episode that I think it could be as good as Aerosmith. I think you just have to look at it in a different light. But it doesn't matter, because this is the affair of Cellini. And it doesn't matter what light you look at it, at it in. Well, that's, that's all my po- my point was. I didn't want. To, I wasn't actually going to believe for day. I meant more like this got nominated for cinematography. And to me, I 
mind blowing. I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was very mediocre. I think the Thin Man had better cinematography. Compare this to like the to the dolly shots in an alibi to like the big sets and like set pieces in the love parade go movie by movie and it's better in almost every regard yeah or they're yeah, better th- in almost every regard yeah yeah i know what you meant <laughs> we're not we're not complimenting selini here i should just say something and i don't even know this just i don't even know how to just like fit this in but i just felt like i need i needed to say it do y'all remember those costumes <laughs> Of the servants where they just weren't wearing any pants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know why it just really bothered me. I mean, I realized it was probably like historically accurate or whatever, but <laughs> I was I was waiting for like a slip. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I feel like if we had watched this together, we would have had a much better time. <laughs> <laughs> this would have been a fun, like, you know, some some podcasts, maybe we ever come super big, some podcasts do, like, on Patreon, they do, like, commentaries. I, this would be definitely one I'd be like, let's do a commentary on the first thing where we just talk through it, no. but we still have to pay attention to it. No! We have so many <laughs> drink, movies to Maybe do. I would drink a little bit more wine. No, no, no. The first one Caleb, it has to be a bad movie, because if it's a good movie, we're not going to want to talk during to it. To do Alibi or Love Parade. That's true. Alib- <laughs> well, I... I like Love Prey more than you guys did. Uh, but yeah, Alibi would actually probably be a better pick. Now we gotta add a nomination. The one I was thinking of that Sarah just convinced me against was costume design. Because I actually think the costumes here are really nice. <laughs> but then, yeah, you're on with the, pa- the no pants. And I'm kind of like, well, I don't want, I'll read that. I don't want that on my record. Uh, so I will instead vote for... <laughs> I think you guys are going to kill me for this. Uh, <laughs> I am going to pick... There was a little bit of dancing in this. <laughs> and I kind of want to count the choreography as dancing, because I never once bought that they were actually fighting each other. I was like, oh, this is kind of like a nice dance. So I'm going to give it best dance direction and argue that the big fight scene was a dance. Suite. I said that Marilyn Dietrich walking around the room was dancing. So welcome to the club, buddy. <laughs> I don't know. I just can't even believe that you did such a cop out. Well, if you want me to think my officially costume design, I can. But if not, I'm going with this. I might go for costume design. <laughs> you know what? What's another option? Here's, here's another option to throw out is makeup and hairstyling, because we were all convinced that role was played in drag. And <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think we should all get a we all get a we all can get a cop out in dance direction. Caleb got his This Sarah, movie deserves a cop out. <laughs> I'm going for dance sure. direction. Sure. <laughs> I'll give it to like Ladybird or something. <laughs> because of the Marilyn we roll long scene. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, who's next? <laughs> no, Caleb can't go last this time. He went last first time, so now it has to be Caleb's turn. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the importance of having a brand. If you have a brand and you don't want to give this movie award for anything, you can just fall back on the brand. Faye Ray, she was the only character I didn't hate in this. She gets the nomination. 
Why not? I mean, I can think of several reasons why not, but okay. <laughs> I was going to go, I was going to do a, I was thinking about doing a cop out and giving it to Lucille Ball. Um, <laughs> this might sound crazy, but I'm thinking Frederick March for best actor. I don't think that he was. I don't know if I would give him the award, obviously, but I don't, I mean, it seems like he would be the obvious choice if you were going to do a nomination for this movie. I wonder if it's because what's it was so close to it, him, his win was so close. You know how sometimes that happens like an actor wins and they don't want to nominate them again? Um, yeah, that'd be my guess. But otherwise, yeah, I would agree with you that Frederick March, to me personally, I was better than the Wiz. No, the Wiz is a separate thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just calling him the Wiz. All right, are we done? Are shall we talk about what we're talking about in two weeks? Next week we're watching a film that is two hours long. Dun dun dun. We are going to watch a film that has a, a director who will return. Michael Curtis, and it stars Errol Flynn, which is the person I was referring to before we recorded. I'm going to have to look this up real quick. (laughs) Wait, what movie is this? I'm about to say, at the 8th Academy Awards. So much build-up. Five nominations was given to a film called Captain Blood, a swashbuckling pirate film. From Warner Brothers Pictures will be our first Warner Brothers film. As Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland in it. Who's the name I just butchered? Olivia de Havilland, yeah. It also has Basil Rathbone in it. It's kind of exciting too. That's the name I recognize. And it has it has uh, Guy Kippy who played the judge in Lady for a Day. Oh, nice. Kippy eggs. Nice. <laughs> All right, and well, it has Jesse Ralph. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, a lot Sarah. Of- Your assertion about Errol Flynn is not correct <laughs> at all. Okay, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna watch. In, uh, actually, I believe this is one of his first films, so this is pretty. So I'm not gonna watch a pirate movie, even if it's a bit long. Hopefully, it's good. Um, I think I'll probably enjoy it more than this one, you know? It's, um... Wait, 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 wait. Alright, you might be... You might be onto something. To be clear, to be clear, Danny said off off recording that the next movie we were gonna, we were gonna watch had a, quote, gay icon. Quote, unquote. <laughs> but it seems like the only... The only things that are really sticking out to me is that somebody tried to like slander him and said that he was bisexual so we can talk about Errol Flynn next week <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be on the record until I do some research either Captain Blood uh, I, yeah, Ca- Captain I'll go Blood. on the record for saying this Captain Blood is a cool name and after having like maybe I went into this wrong when I heard the name was the affairs of Cellini I was like I probably am not going to enjoy this Captain Blood though I'm manifesting it I'm going to enjoy this movie I I love Olivia de Havilland so I'm excited to give a brief spoiler by a spoiler I just mean the name of the character do you want his full name is Peter Blood 
Um, so get ready for Peter Blood. That's so and weird. The other lead is named Arabella Bishop, which, wow, this sounds very like, I don't know, I'm excited to watch this. These are good names, good character names. Let's be real here. Um, all right. So, yeah, join us next week when we talk about a film that we're, I, I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to watch Captain Blood. So I've never seen an Errol Flynn film before, so that'll be interesting. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you then. I'm da- oh sign off of course we gotta do our sign off yeah you guys gotta know where to find us uh, we don't deserve to sign this one off I'm I'm Danny Vincent uh, no one made it this far <laughs> yeah I'm Danny Vincent uh, I I host the, I co-host the Sub Club I also co-host uh, Wise with Ty and Dan which is the Marvel podcast we're talking about Loki right now very funny very fun time because I'm always very loopy when we record um, but yeah we're recording. Uh, you can find that everywhere you can find this on also on Buzzsprout. Uh, you can also find me on Letterboxd under Blank Mints. I am at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube, at The Myth King on Letterboxd. And from any of those places, you should be able to find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited. And if you liked me digging into a movie I thought was bad, that's the podcast for you to check out next. Um, and I'm also on Star Wars Therapy, recently guested on the Comedic committed critics with danny talking about hades town um and uh thank you to our editor joe who uh you can check out his podcast all new 52 um and i'm sarah sarah knoff um you can find me on i don't know why i, I don't know why i introduced myself again um you can find <laughs> me like, on the pause you're like yeah and i'm sarah <laughs> that's me um you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-E-K-A-Y 29. Um, also on Letterboxd, just my name, Sarah Kanoff. Um, I'm not as interesting, and I'm also not a man, so I don't have multiple podcasts. Wow. Uh, <laughs> men will go, men will make multiple podcasts instead of going to therapy. <laughs> I do go to therapy. It's with my two bros and we talk about Star Wars. And uh, as for the Snub Club, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Twitter is Snub Club Pod. Um, Instagram is uh, Snub Club Podcast. And Facebook is the Snub Club. Nice. We will see you all next week. Well, in two weeks, actually. I'm in sorry. two weeks. I forget. <laughs> I forget everything. Yeah, we'll see you then. Captain Blood, get hyped.